The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit fvf.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review our very first match versus LAFC, including the traveling fans and watch parties all over town. We're also going to do a little preview of the Colorado game coming up this weekend and throw in a little bit more of club news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And Landon, we spent part of the day Saturday together, but we, we did not watch the game together. <laughs> we did. I was, I was extremely torn about where I was going to watch the game because um, the sentimental side of me wanted to be in a public place with, uh, with all the people that I've kind of gone through this experience of the last uh, three years or so together with. And so, uh, but then like my, um, COVID brain slash already, uh, anxiety of crowds brain didn't want to be in a place where there are 500 people. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of split the difference and ended up going earlier in the day to hop squad where one of the main Los Reyes parties was, uh, hung out, socialized a little bit, got to say hi to some people, and then I ended up coming back home and watching the game with uh, just a couple of other people. So um, I was I was pretty pleased with my strategy there. What what about you, Jeremiah? You ended up staying at Hop Squad the whole time, right? Yeah, I did end up staying at Hop Squad, and it was uh, it was crowded, and there were a lot of people, but it was very strange for the first probably twenty five minutes. It's just everybody was so tense. Like I've never seen a bar that full and that quiet. And, you know, just because people, you know, everybody was just on edge and had a lot of anxiety. And we couldn't settle. And, like I was with Wellhouse and, and, you know, who's not usually shy on opinions. And like, it was just deathly silent. So it was interesting, but I mean, it loosened up a little bit once the game opened up a little bit, but I think there was a lot of just people not even like knowing what to do or how to react. Cause that is really, cause we finally had a game, you know, that's really interesting. I was talking to someone uh, the other day who watched at Bolden Acres, which is, down in South Lamar, kind of this big outdoor beer garden space. And he was saying that 80% of the people there weren't paying attention, like couldn't care less. And so I was curious, like, what was, I couldn't imagine that would be the case at Hop Squad and at Circle where a lot of these like hardcore fans were going to be. And so, yeah, that's, it's, I guess, encouraging to hear that it wasn't the case there and that people were actually kind of glued to the TV and, and watching the game. (laughs) Yeah, it was great, especially inside. Like we were inside with a big uh, screen, which is all the people that showed up early were the people that really wanted to make sure they got a spot and could watch the match. And that group was really into it. And eventually um, we we started doing some chanting and stuff like that to break it up a little bit. And it made it, you know, not quite as tense of an experience. But I think we both talked about going back and watching it today and how much easier it was to pay attention because there was so much less anxiety than, than the first time through. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to be easier to watch the second time through because you kind of know what's coming, you know what to expect, you know what the general flow of the game was. But also, yeah, I think the anxiety definitely definitely played a part in it and just kind of like being nervous. I went back and I have a Fitbit watch and I looked at my my heart rate tracker and uh, around about when did the game start? Whenever the game started, you can see like this major peak in my heart rate. And then as the game went on, it kind of like leveled out a little bit, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, should we get into talking about the game? Yeah, let's talk about the game and less talking about us watching the game. 
All right. Um, so before we jump into kind of the game recap, let's just talk about our expectations. So what were our expectations before the game? So my expectation, I don't think we said this last week because we didn't pick scores, which is probably good. But I mean, I thought it was going to be a 4-2, 5-2 game. You know, I, I thought that with what we had seen out of the defense that LA would kind of carve us up and we would score a couple times in response. And that obviously did not come to pass. How about you? Yeah, same thing. I, I like from what we'd seen in preseason, we're like, okay, we're scoring goals. Um, so, and our defense has not been amazing. So, we might give away a ton of goals, but hopefully, we can we can steal some back as well. And it was the exact opposite. Like, um, we ended up playing a pretty good defensive game, and I think probably both goals were a little bit unlucky from Austin. Um, we'll we'll get into that a little more in detail soon, but um, overall, Austin played a pretty good defensive game and then didn't score any goals. So it was a little bit backwards, but um, there were some of the expectations that were completely met, which was most of the starting lineup. So really, it was we talked about who we thought was going to be that starting lineup last week. Um, I think the only spot that was different was the goalkeeper, right? Yeah, ever, other than that, it was straight down the line what we expected to see. Um, uh, other, yeah, other than Brad Stuver, which I think was a big surprise for me, was that? Yeah, it was, it was one of the biggest surprises of the game. Biggest surprise overall for me was him and sort of how he played. And we'll get into that, but yeah, yeah I did not expect that at all. I was very surprised. I I had heard um, uh, a rumor from from someone who like someone who heard from someone who heard from someone that that Brad Stuver was going to be starting. And I was like, I don't think I believe that. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I think Tarbell had the edge coming into camp and from the games we saw, I didn't think that either of them did much to really change their positions, but Stuver ended up getting the start. And I think proved, proved Wolf right on that. Um, the other spot we weren't sure about was right center back, which Johan Romani, I think he was the favorite there anyway. And then Redis was carrying an injury and we weren't sure if he was going to be fit to start. And he ended up uh, starting and playing about 60 minutes. So um, yeah, other than that, it was the people we expected to be there. Um, then LAFC's roster, uh, their starting lineup, it was for the most part what we expected minus uh, Diego Rossi. He apparently was checking with their um, their training staff right before the game, and they decided he wasn't fully fit, and so they sat him out. And it was, so the front three was Corey Baird, Danny Wasowski, and Carlos Vela. Um, but the rest of it was pretty much their, their full-strength team. Um, so, yeah, even though Rossi wasn't there, it was still a very good lineup that we were going against. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about the, about the game itself because, uh, I mean, one of the things that got the, I think drove the anxiety up at hop squad and got the club going early. It was like the, what, what three, four minutes in there was, um, Stuver had the chance to prove himself early on and, and his worth. And I think everybody was really stressed out about that, you know, the, where I was and that, you know, we were afraid it was going to go sideways right from the start. Yeah. It was in the first minute. It was in the first minute. Okay. Yeah. It was less than three or four minutes in. I yeah. think it was cause Austin, started with the ball and ring kicked it long to Cecilio. And I think on that next possession, LAFC just cut right through the middle of Austin's midfield and then played it over to the left to, uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, I think I want to say it was their left back maybe, but um, 
on the first the first look at it, I didn't quite realize how good of a save was, but they showed a replay about a minute later, and it was a really nice save from Stuver. So that could have started off the game on a really bad foot, but Stuver made the save. Uh, they kind of settled in a little bit after that, and then, I mean, the I thought the rest of the first half, Austin looked like the better team for a lot of it. Um, they were stringing together really good little strings of possession, passing the ball around, looked like a very cohesive team. Uh, around the 22nd minute, I think is one of the, the main points of the game that happened. There's a through ball to Carlos Vela in the box, like running on the right side of the box. He stretches to get the ball, doesn't get to it and goes to ground. He stands up and makes a hand motion calling for a trainer to come over. Oh yeah. So a trainer comes over, is checking him out, looking at his leg. He ends up walking off the side of the field. He's walking slowly. And then Bob Bradley substitutes him. Uh, Carlos Vela doesn't realize this immediately until it's too late, but he notices that Opoku is coming on the field for him. And he looks over at Bradley and throws his hands up in the air. Like what gives man? I'm fine. Like I was going to go back in and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just after that, Bob Bradley did one of those uh, controversial in-game interviews where they're talking to the coach in the middle of the game, and he said, "Yeah, maybe I jumped the gun. I, that's my fault. I, I should have I should have double checked that before substituting him." Did Did Austin get lucky there? Did we? Did Yo, we get I have to dealt think a so. good hand. I have I have to think so, but I mean, with a, yes, ultimately, but. I don't think that you can necessarily say that that like changed the outcome of the game. I mean, I think I think with the shape and the way they were playing and the way that um they stuck to their guns that it, it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion that having Vela in would have led to a different outcome. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could have just because he's that kind of player. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's it was a a very bizarre thing to happen in a game, but anyway, so after the 22nd minute, not only did they not have Rossi from the very beginning, but played the rest of the game without Vela. Uh, that being said, that's not LAFC's only strengths. Their midfield was full strength, still very good players. Corey Baird was still in the game, who was a starter anyway. Um, and so Austin still had their hands full with with the rest of the players that were still on the field. Um, one other... So I was, I was mentioning that Austin probably looked like the better team for a lot of the first half. I think one prime example of this is in uh, the 39th minute. There was a really long string of passes. I counted 19 passes. So it was from a throw in. And then there's a string of 19 passes, uh, passing it across the back to the keeper, to Romagna, to, to sweat on the left, back to Romagna. Romagna pushes the ball forward, plays it up to the right to, to Lima. And it was a really nice little string of possession. If, I don't know if you'd have shown that to to somebody who didn't know MLS, didn't know who this team was, and told them, like showed them that clip, and then said, "This is an, ex- is an expansion team, and this these guys have never played a competitive game together." I think you would have blown them away, just having seen that little bit of it. Yeah, and that was one too where we were there. Where you just immediately realize for those of us that have watched it a lot, like, "Oh, this is Josh's system." I mean, that was probably yeah <laughs> the sequence that you're like, "Oh, this this is exactly what he's talked about all along." Um, but you could, you could see it happening on the field, which is a little bit different than like just hearing him talk about it theoretically. So that, that, yeah, that was an exciting bit. I mean, an overall possession was, um, I mean, we had really good possession. It wasn't like we were just sitting back and waiting to counter, but you know, we, we, we did a good job of the ball all, all game long, which was, um, 
inspiring given who we were playing against. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there wasn't a ton of other action. I think there might have been a few shots here and there in the first half, um, but no no goals or anything. Halftime comes. Uh, Austin FC starts a little bit slow, a little bit on the back foot, and they don't really recover for a long time. Um, about the 53rd minute, so not long after halftime, I think LAFC got four or five corners in a row. Just kept putting them back out, corner again, putting them back out, corner again. Uh, the last one, Eddie Segura, the LAFC center back, comes in and just rises above everyone and smashes a header off the crossbar and finally goes out for a goal kick. And uh, they were finally able to to kind of settle in a little bit after that and put some possession together. But um, they, I, I think after halftime, just Austin... I think there was a stretch later on that they finally put together something, but for a long time, they just, the, what we were seeing in the first half wasn't there anymore. It was kind of gone. Yeah. Josh said that at the post-game press conference and I'll, I'll just read this quote. It said, I think more than anything, we came out in the second half extremely flat and maybe we can do a better job. And I, I do like the, his like owning this of getting guys to a better place mentally before they go back out and talked about how they fell flat and that cost them, but then also like set, accepted some responsibility you know, on the coaches is a thing to work on to get them ready for that. Yeah, I, um, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I liked Josh's attitude in the press conference. We can talk about that after we finish going through the game as well. But uh, I think another notable moment um, here that kind of showed Danny Pereira's skills was uh, in the 56 minute ring uh, stepped Tatuesta and very likely fouled him, but he, they didn't give the calls. The top yeah. of top of our defensive box, no call. Uh, Danny Pereira picks it up, drives the length of the field, plays a through ball up the right channel to Rodney Redes. It was a little bit heavy. I think if you'd have left a little bit off of that ball, Rodney would have been able to either take one touch and hit it or just hit it first time. It would have been a really dangerous shot on goal, but he had to run a little bit wide and couldn't really get the shot off. He ends up crossing it back post to Cecilio, who tried to like do a little bicycle kick, but didn't really make proper contact. But that was a really dangerous moment in the in the second half. Um, after that point, Austin really started to look tired. You could see the attackers mainly, but some of the midfielders as well. In the uh, 59th minute is when Gallagher and Stroud come on for Husin and Redis. Um and that that changed the game a little bit. Those two guys were very lively. Uh, we've talked we talked about last week how in the preseason games, um, Gallagher and Husin are just completely different players, and th this was apparent. Who uh, I think whenever whenever Gallagher came on, Stu Holden on the broadcast said, said something about. John, like how much he loves John Gallagher and that he quote runs like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, that was a really good response, <laughs> but yeah, he was, he came on and after settling in a little bit, he did, um, a lot of John Gallagher things, stretching the back line, making some dangerous runs. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought that was a good boost of energy. Uh, Stroud kind of did the same thing was, was a little bit fresher. I thought Rodney had a pretty good game, but he, Stroud came on and just kind of brought that energy in a in a game that was getting a little bit leggy. Um, in the 61st minute, this is when the first goal comes. So uh, Tristan Blackman played a ball into Danny Masovsky's feet at the top of the box. 
Matt Beasler, as Masovsky drops, Beasler follows him out. And so that kind of pulls the defense a little bit out of shape. Uh, Musoski turns and tries to play a ball to Latif Blessing, who's running pretty much straight up the middle of the field into the box. And I think Romagna and Lima both see that that's what he's trying to do. And so they both kind of turn their attention to Blessing, but the ball's played behind Blessing, not intentionally. He was definitely playing that ball to Blessing. And so I think it kind of threw them off a little bit. And it ends up like just kind of slowly trickling to Corey Baird on the, the left side of the box. And he one time hits it. Uh, Lima had recovered and kind of lunges to get a foot in the way and kind of covered that. Stuver was set up um, good position to cover it because he was clearly aiming it at the back post. Stuver was in good position. Whenever Lima lunges, it ricochets off of his outstretched leg and just slides into the near post. And so it kind of wrong footed Stuver. Um, definitely not Stuver's fault. I think the defense could have been in a little bit better position and, and could have played that a little bit better, but kind of an unlucky goal. So I don't think you can completely blame them for all that, especially not Stuvers. I don't think Stuver did anything wrong on that one. Uh, but that was LAFC's first goal. Um, after that, Austin was still a little bit on the back foot. Uh, like I said, John Gallagher started doing John Gallagher things and showed a little bit of life, but still not a ton going on at that point. Um, in the 70th minute, uh, Jean Kolmanich and Diego Fagundes came on for Ben Sweat and Pochettino. Uh, Pochettino didn't look very happy, did he? No, he did not. He, he I guess we'll get into this a little, a little bit about, you know, them being subbed out, but he, yeah, he did not seem to have a lot of joy, um, about, about coming out, but, you know, I felt like it was time, didn't you? I, yeah, I don't think it had to do anything with him playing poorly. I think he was just tired. And it was it had become obvious that a lot of the guys were tired. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't that's, think... That's why we have five subs, right? I mean, that, that right. situation is just like that. It's early season, first game, guys are tired. I mean, that's, that's why that's the good thing about having the kind of the depth we have to bring on a new attack is that you can do that. So I guess... One would appreciate his passion, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's better that than him being like happy about coming out. Yeah, you want guys to want to be on the field. So I, I just don't know if he, if he like just wanted to play the rest of the game, or if he took that to mean that Wolf didn't like how he was playing or whatever. But I'm sure they got a chance to to kind of clear that up in the locker room later. Um, right, whenever Kolmanich comes on, he takes a corner and plays it to ring at the top of the box. Uh, the ball ends up getting recycled and played back in. And there was a possible foul on Romagna in the box for a penalty. Um, and then it ends up bouncing over to Stroud. Stroud attempts a cross, but it gets blocked and goes out for a throw. Stroud runs over and takes a quick throw in, which I thought at the time, I thought it was like, this is kind of a rookie mistake here because if there's a potential penalty in the box, you got to slow play that and give VAR a chance to look at it, right? Um after watching the replay over again, it was definitely not a penalty, and Romagna definitely dove. And so <laughs> I don't, I'll give Stroud the benefit of the doubt, and maybe he saw that it was a dive and knew nothing was happening, so he's going to try to catch L.A. Um, off guard a little bit but with the quick throw in. But if, if he even kind of thought that was a penalty, he should have let that go and, and let VAR take a look at it. 72nd yeah. minute was uh, Kolmanich picks up the ball in the left wing, um, at, around this point in the game, the wingers had kind of like moved a bit further inside 
and we're giving space for the fullbacks to get up a little bit wider because they're, I mean, they're chasing the game at that point. So I think they're, everyone was just pushing forward a little bit further, but Kolmanich picks up the ball in the left wing and hits a really nice cross near post. And um, I, I watched this, this back several times, but it ends up on Gallagher's head as Kolmanich receives the ball. Gallagher is kind of like floating on the, the back shoulder of the center back and he's pointing and he like Babe Ruth calls his shot. He's like, I'm running right there. Give it to me. And so it's like in several seconds, Kolmanich pushes the pushes the ball forward. And then as like as Kolmanich is kind of winding up to take it, Gallagher makes that run and beats his man across and gets really good contact on it. But it just goes a little bit wide and uh, a little bit unlucky, but really showcase the strengths of both Kolmanich and, and Gallagher. If just watching Husin, like Husin doesn't make that run. He, I don't think I saw him make a near post run like that ever in the game in any of the preseason games either. And that's what John Gallagher lives for. Like he's, he's going to make that run and John Kolmanich lives to make those crosses. And so that was a, a really promising thing to see as well. So um, there's another stretch of possession right after that uh, where Austin kind of has a few half chances. Um, LAFC starts making subs at that point. And then in the uh, 77th minute, Austin turns the ball over. K pushes it upfield and plays a long ball into Musowski. A pretty dangerous ball. And he's on the run and is going to get a shot away. And Beasler steps across him at the perfect moment and kind of destroys him, like knocks him off balance and sends the shot wide. And it looked like Musowski was feeling it like it kind of hurt him and i i think he came yeah he came off right after that uh after beasler broke him so um i think that that was one of one of beasler's highlights there that he may not be the fastest but he still knows when to make that step and kind of has that timing just kind of that veteran timing and knows when to to make the tackle knows where to be knows where to run and so, yeah, it makes up with his his veteran wiliness where he lacks in speed and athleticism at this point. Um, I think the only other sub at that point was Mane came on for Cecilio. Uh, in the 90th minute, Austin is kind of frantically chasing the game at this point. Gallagher gets another shot off um, in the 90th minute, gets saved. A little bit after that... Um, Austin is taking a corner. They end up turning the ball over after a corner. So all of the team is kind of scrambling back. Uh, Ginella receives the ball just past midfield, turns and plays a direct ball in the air to Cifuentes, who was uh, running down the the channel. Danny Pereira is there kind of covering because he was the man back on the corner. Sticks his leg out behind him to stop the ball. Uh, Doesn't really clear. It just kind of like bounces straight up in the air. It falls in between, um, who does it fall to? Oh, Beasler and Opoku. And Beasler tries to clear it, and it bounces off Opoku straight ahead of him into space yeah. and puts him in on goal one-on-one with Stuver. So he runs directly at Stuver, squares it to the to the right post uh, for Cifuentes, and Cifuentes taps it in. So that's 2-0. Again, a little bit of an unlucky goal. Not Not to say that Austin wasn't at fault for some of those things that happened, but, um, but it, it definitely wasn't a moment where LAFC just beat him up and scored a goal. It was kind of circumstances of the game. Austin was chasing it, got caught out. 
uh, on the backside. So um, there was seven minutes of extra time because of all the um, the injuries and goals and everything. I think the only other thing notable that happened in those seven minutes was um, there's a 50-50 ball on the sideline and Nick Lima dropped a shoulder in Latif Blessing and just like leveled him, dropped him flat on his back. Uh, and after that, LAFC just kind of killed it off. They were taking it to the corner and slow playing it. And Edward Atuesta got hurt and just laid on the ground for like a minute and a half and then got up and walked away and laid on the ground again. And so they just kind of milked the clock at that point and, and it was over. So, um, yeah, what are, what were our thoughts of the, of the whole game? Well, I mean, obviously it didn't turn out at all like we expected, like we, yeah. like we said up front, but absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I think every, everything you've seen from every, every national pundit and all, all the people in hop squad was, I mean, it was, a, it was impressive, you know? And I mean, it was effectively like a one nil game. I mean, the second one was just because like we were chasing, chasing the tying goal. And I, and I honestly love to see the ambition of having five subs, like swapping out the whole attack and like chasing that goal and not just sitting back and, you know, trying to counter or whatever. So, you know, I thought it was good to see, good to see that position. So, I mean, yeah, I think it was an encouraging start. Um, I know I've, we tend to focus a lot on clubs like LA, which now they've won, I guess, all four season openers, season openers they've ever had, I think. Yeah. Um, but you know, most expansion teams, especially expansion teams going on the road, playing one of the best teams in the league are going to lose their opening match. Um, and they didn't get, it wasn't an FC Cincinnati opening. They didn't get blown off the field. Um, and I think it sets things up really well for the future. Yeah. After the first watch, like I wasn't, I wasn't super down on it. Like, I think I felt okay about the game, but after watching it the second time, like I was pretty positive on this performance. Like I felt pretty good about it. And there's, I think if this were a team that had been together for three years and they put that performance together, I think I would have been disappointed by it. But in the circumstances, given the context, I was I was pretty encouraged by what we saw. Um, and like you said, all the national pundits, pretty much everybody said, like, this didn't look like an expansion team. This looked like uh, they had a clear plan, a clear system that they're working with. And it's a, a complicated and difficult system to instill in a group of players. And it looks like Wolf is already doing it. And so uh, I thought, yeah, that's that's very encouraging. Um, let's kind of go through some of the other positives of the game. Um, I think one of the ones that I'll point out first were the defensive work by the midfielders and Husin early in the game. Um, they, the three midfielders, uh, Ring, Pochettino, and Pereira, stayed pretty narrow and compact in that in that midfield where LAFC's midfield three like to play. And they made it pretty difficult for them. Um, they were marking the players really tightly in their area. So if there's a player, it wasn't man marking, it was still like zonal. But if a player came into their zone, they were sticking right next to them and then did a really good job of kind of communicating and passing guys off as they moved into a different zone. Um, it didn't always work. Like they weren't, LAFC is, is LAFC and this is what they do. They pass through midfields. And so they got through and, and, and got into some dangerous positions, but overall, I think Austin did a really great job of defending their midfield. Uh, and then they ended up turning some interceptions into some pretty decent counterattacking opportunities, which is exactly what you want out of, out of a midfield like that. So I thought that was great. Um, then 
so yeah, I Pochettino was I thought solid, wasn't um amazing for the whole time he was in, but overall positive. Danny Pereira, I really liked what he did with the ball for the most part. I think he gave gave away the ball a few times, maybe didn't always make the smartest defensive moves, but overall, for a kid playing his first MLS game, I thought he was great. Yeah, I did too. And especially considering the competition. Um, he just looked he's looked like this all along. I mean, he looks like comfortable. He looks like he belongs. He looks like he's not overwhelmed by the moment. Um, and he just is fitting into the system really well. Um, and we talked about this in the last show, you know, the things he's working on are really sort of minor technical things that they can correct. And so um, he seems like a, he seems like a keeper. That seems like a genius, genius pick after Absolutely. all of us were surprised by it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm yeah. Every day happier and happier with that pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Alex ring that the absolute boss. He's the man, right? Yeah. yeah he was every, he was everything promised and more. I'm in an all, you know, he got the captain's band on what Wednesday or something, which is something we didn't know he would get, but you know, just after watching one game, you're like, well, how could it be anybody yeah, else? Yeah, like, he exactly. Was the clear, he's the best player on the field. I mean, he was smart. He was dangerous. He, you know, going both ways, he, he might have gotten away a little bit with one, um, you know, that we talked about earlier. But, you know, he just he was a, a definitely a physical presence and a difference maker all the way around. Yeah. Um, I was listening to MLS Assist today with Joe Lowry, friend of the show, Joe Lowry. And one thing that he pointed out about Ring, I think it was actually his co-host, Jordan Angeli. She uh, mentioned Ring kind of like pointing around the field. You know, like you'll see you'll see players kind of like pointing like this is the pass that's on or recycle it back. This is the one that's on. And Ring was really was kind of doing that the whole game. And so, yeah, like you said, it was pretty clear that that he should be the captain of this team after yeah. watching him uh, kind of run the show offensively. And then also whenever LAFC did break through the midfield and actually get a ball through ring a lot of times was there to kind of snuff it out or kind of slow it down until he could get some some help there so really great offensively really great defensively um yeah our best player for sure right now um i was thinking somebody else that fits in that same way with directing the game i mean brad stuver showed like a, a sort of a command of the system and a like a command a command of the game and like ball distribution that that I was surprised by. Yeah. Was really, like you under, you understand why Josh decided to name him the starter. Yeah, absolutely. I I've got a, a couple of stats here. So Brad Stewart had seven saves. Um, so LAFC had nine, nine shots on target. So he saved seven of them. The two that went in were not Brad Stewart's fault by any means. So as far as shot stopping and just general goalkeeping goes, great job there. Um, but then he also had 89% pass completion, was distributing the ball really well, looked really comfortable uh, being kind of that pivot, po that pivot point in the back, um, had to play under pressure a few times. I, I didn't go back and count meticulously, but I think I remember two long passes out of the back that he turned it over in like a semi dangerous position, one more dangerous than the other. The other one ended up getting snuffed out pretty quickly, but um, really just like a couple of passes that, that were turned over. Other than that, his, his passing was great. His distributing was really good. He, uh, a few times he would do a quick throw. He would make a save and then do a quick throw up the flank to one of the, the left back, what to one of the fullbacks. 
Um, really accurate with those really useful balls doing out of that to, to break counterattacks. So yeah, I think overall of a, a, a very uh, impressive performance. Um, there was one moment that upon first look, I thought it was um, a poor, kind of a poor effort by him. He, there was a corner that um, got kind of like popped up into the air and was like, hovering above the bar and you'll see you'll see keepers kind of like floating under the bar waiting for it and he ends up kind of putting like this really soft punch on it and it just like falls yeah. straight down yeah. i was like oh you did a, what were you doing there stuver but i watched it back and danny musovsky looks at him and as stuver is about to go up musovsky just kind of like backs into him and pushes him into his own goal to where he can't jump and so we ended up getting the ball and like nothing happened, but I think if anything would have happened there, no, uh, somebody, I think Kay ended up shooting it and hitting it over the bar. I think if that goal had gone in, they would have reviewed that and called a foul on Masovsky and we'd have gotten the ball back. So again, like something I thought was bad ended up not being Stuver's fault at all there really. So overall fantastic performance. Yeah. One of the other things that Brad Stuver talked about um, in the postgame press conference was the, you know, we've got a group of South American players and a group of MLS veterans and the language barriers. And I think one of the things that was interesting he talked about is how, like, he's learning commands in Spanish to help communicate back and forth with the back line. Then also at the same time, um, they're helping the, the South American players learn English. So it's kind of like a mix of Spanglish things in order to communicate. Um, and I guess that's really important and maybe something that is underrated uh, but that they're working on. So what, what did you think about that comment? Yeah, I was talking to Taylor Rudolph at Hop Squad the other day before the game, and he pointed out in the uh, one like the little documentary series that Austin FC has been releasing bit by bit, there's a, a part in one of those where Tarbell is getting Danny Pereira to translate like some pretty basic stuff to Romagna in the locker room. And... Like it's not, I mean, it's not an ideal thing. Like it's, it's a tough thing to have to do, but it's not like this is the first center back pairing that didn't speak the same language. Like there are ways around this, like they're going to figure it out. And what you just said is it like the goalkeeper is going to learn some Spanish. Johan's going to learn some English. They'll, they'll learn a shorthand. It's not like you have to learn how to recite Shakespeare to each other in each other's languages. It's like, like up. Yeah, stand here go I've there got yeah. him. go here like it's a it's a pretty simple uh word bank of commands that y'all need to learn and like be able to communicate in certain scenarios and so um it's gonna make it harder at first yeah but like there's a blueprint a blueprint for this like people have done this before they'll get there but it, it is very encouraging to see stuve already talking about it and that they are working on it and like actively actively trying to make it better now. So that, that is encouraging for sure. Um, who else did you think looked good in this game? Well, I, again, like as a pleasant surprise, I think it was Johan Romagna. Um, he looked so, he looked so much more composed than he has before. You know, he, he seemed kind of scattered um, in the preseason matches, but, you know, I think he showed a lot of flashes uh I think he showed his potential to be like a target uh, on corners, you know, even though that didn't that didn't yeah. work out. But you can definitely see just like not only just his like height and size and command, how he's going to be really dangerous, you know, on those. And we di we didn't score it, but you can definitely 
I mean, I think it's a real positive in his favor. So I, I love the way the way he, he played and seemed like he belonged after I think we all had a lot of questions about whether he was MLS ready game one or not after watching the preseason. Absolutely. Yeah. His um, on the ball looked really comfortable. Uh, I don't think, I don't think there are any notable, like huge missteps from him uh, on the ball. I don't remember any, there may have been a couple, but um, one other thing I wanted to point out is just his body language. It, if you watch Johan Romagna playing for Club Guarani, he like he looked like a boss out there, and he's just like very confident, just kind of like stomping around in in that half of the field. And it it wasn't always the most structured uh, and organized defense, but Johan always looked like he knew exactly what he was doing, and like I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna destroy this person, I'm gonna get the ball and run up the field with it. And in these the preseason games, we didn't see that Johan. Like he looked a little bit unsure, a little bit timid at times, and hesitant with the ball. We didn't see that in this game. He was very confident, very comfortable. I thought he uh, had a, a a good defensive outing, pretty good on the ball as well. So still stuff to improve upon, but in the right direction for sure. Um, what about Matt Beasler? I thought I thought Beasler looked. Pretty good too. Like it's like a throw, th- throwback Beasler, yeah. right? Yeah, he 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 kind of lived up to everything that like the best of what you would expect out of him. You know, he's what thirty four, whatever. He's not super fast, but like his positioning was great, and he made good decisions. Um, he he just like was always in the right place at the right time, and sort of understands his skills and limitations. So I was really pleased with what we saw out of him too. What was your take on Nick Lima? Yeah, I think we might have a different take on Nick Lima. I don't. I don't like, know that I, we do. I don't. I, I think I have like a, an additional take. <laughs> okay, so I I think I was talking to Chris or maybe Taylor, and this is in the first half, and just watching Ring Lima and Beasler play, I'm like, oh, I understand why this roster is so MLS heavy. Um, you know, like built up, built on guys with that reputation because like, I felt like they were really sort of the rocks of, of our positioning there. And so I, f- I felt like all around, you know, other than the weird ball off his foot um, that led to a goal that Lima had a really strong game. And I, I was impressed with Lima in a way there that I hadn't necessarily been in the preseason. Um, you know, I, and I, f- I felt like he was a, is a key part of the team um, and, and, and keeping it, keeping it in the scoreless first half. Yeah, I, I I think Lima played really good defensively. I I really like him defensively. Like I think he's he's like a little bulldog at right back. He fights really hard and fights for every ball. Puts in really strong tackles. I love that part of his game. And then also he's safe on the ball, building up. But I have one one gripe on about his his game on the ball. I saw this in the game against uh, the preseason game against Houston. And then in this game, and then the game against LAFC, but he'll have the ball on the wing, and Rodney will be kind of inside, and do this kind of curved, reverse run. Like he's gonna instead of like curving it towards the goal, he's curving it towards the corner flag, and will like signaling that I'm gonna run in behind, play me the ball here, and it's on several times, and I've not seen Lima play it to him on that run one time. If that's an instructional thing, if that's something that Wolf doesn't want him to do, fair enough. But I don't think that's the case. I think he's like a little bit scared to make certain passes sometimes. 
And there was a, a few times where he could have played like a slightly brave pass. And yeah, there's always a chance it doesn't come off or whatever, but he ends up trying to do something else and giving the ball away or like recycling it and, and like giving up maybe a dangerous moment to stretch the back line. Um, that's my one gripe against Nick Lima. And I think especially if Danny Houston is playing at the nine, we need somebody to stretch the back line and Rodney's trying to do it. And if Lima never plays that ball, then the defense knows like we don't have to be honest on this. Like we need to play a ball in behind every once in a while to keep them honest and let them know like, okay, this guy can beat us deep and they're going to try to do that. But if all three of our forwards are checking back to get the ball all the time, then there's no threat in behind. And I think we need somebody to do that. If if it's not the number nine, then it needs to be Rodney or Cecilio. And I think Rodney's trying to show that look, but Lima doesn't play the ball to him. What's interesting, because one of the criticisms I uh, read sort of like on a national basis about Rodney was that uh, there was a lot of folks that kind of talked about him running, but like running without, like not at purpose. You know, that he was just, like he was up and down the field, but like he wasn't really doing a lot there. And I guess, you know, if it's, if Lima was afraid to pass the ball to him, you know, on the runs, and that would make sense for, for why Rodney would look that way to some people. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I don't think that's a completely unfair criticism, but there are these moments where it's like Rodney's fast and he can get in behind that line. And so just play him the ball. And then there was other times where it wasn't really on and Lima would play, play the ball in behind and just like make Rodney run a lot for no reason, really. And so I just I didn't quite agree with his decision making in some of those uh, some of those moments. But overall, I, really good game. I, I don't I don't want to sound too negative on him. I I like Lima, and I think he had a really good game. Um, any other negative spots or gripes? I, we can talk about well, Danny, we gotta ta- Danny Houston. Yeah, we got to talk about Danny Houston. I think you know I've. I mean I I mentioned earlier I I liked what he was doing to help the midfielders uh, in their defensive structure. Um, he ended up kind of being the one to mark Atuesta a lot of times. If Atuesta dropped back, Houston would stand in between the center back with the ball and Atuesta. And then if they pushed forward, then he would kind of press to where he, like Atuesta was still in his shadow and they couldn't play to him. But then he would pressure that center back and make them make a decision at that point. So I thought he was, he, he did a really good job there. Um, Again, talking about his running, he just doesn't really ever seem like as we're pushing towards goal, doesn't seem to make himself an option. Uh, He seems to want to only really drop in and connect with midfield. But as we're pushing up the wing, uh, he just kind of like floats and seems like kind of passive and like waits for it to come to him. Whereas John Gallagher, on the other the other hand, like attacks and just like is aggressive and like almost like violent in the way he runs. And they're just such different players. And I think we can talk about Cecilio here as well. What did you think about Cecilio's performance? Well, one, I thought that LAFC paid a lot of attention to him and they put a lot of pressure on him, especially in the first half. Um, And I didn't think he turned the field around. Uh, you know, enough to like play into that because there should have been openings elsewhere. And then I felt like he tried to do a little bit too much, you know, so I don't, I don't know if I'm down on him as much as, I mean, it's his first game and, you know, he didn't know what to expect and he was got, he's got a lot going on, but I mean, he, he, there were some good things and some bad things. Yeah, for sure. 
I, the reason I, I like see Houston and Cecilio kind of connected in, in this context is that there wasn't a lot of, uh, fluidity or connectedness in the attacking third. Like we did a really good job building the ball up, but once we got into like that final third, there just wasn't really like, I don't know. There didn't never look like there was like a real clear idea. And so I'm thinking maybe like this is a situation where they could like finally start settling in and find some of these patterns that work. And then maybe Houston and Cecilio both start looking really good, but also maybe they don't. And this is just what it is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe their games don't mesh. Right. Which is a thing that we don't know until we see more of it, but that's something I worry about a little bit, but you know, I mean, Cecilio, this is his first game in MLS. He's trying to make it happen. Like I wasn't super down on him. I know like um, some other folks were, and I, I think he had a pretty good, he had a pretty, he, he had a pretty good attitude about, I guess, being subbed off too, you know, and, and coming out. So um, it's game one of 34. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm definitely not, um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not done with either of those guys. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think as, just as things kind of come together, we could see the fortunes of, of both of those guys change a little bit. Um, but yeah, we just, we, we definitely need to give, give them some time to just kind of find a little bit of a flow, find a connection in that final third, and also just play more than one competitive game together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go go away from comic overreaction mode. Uh, <laughs> so let's so let's before we get into like the Colorado talk, we can talk a little bit about game two. Like, do you expect to see any lineup changes in game two, and would you like to see any lineup changes in game two? Um. So I think the only one. I, I mean, so let's start with with goalkeeper. I think Brad Stuver earned earned his stripes today. Like, I think he deserves another start. I totally um, agree on that too. So yeah, unless I don't know, Tarbell does something ridiculous in practice. I, I don't know that he can do anything without playing a game to overtake that starting spot at this point. Um, so definitely want to see Stuver in goal again. Uh, I like we said, Romagna did good. I don't want to see him try anybody else at center back, um, left back. So Kolmanich wasn't on the field for a long time, but showed some some pretty nice flashes of what he can do on the ball. Do you think he did enough to warrant starting over Sweat? I mean, he didn't get a lot of time, and I thought Sweat was good defensively for what we need. So I, I thought he was good offensively, too. Yeah. I thought he, I mean, I, he was really, in a lot of those, like, long stretches of buildup, Sweat was involved in a lot of it and, like, made some really useful, like, ended up cutting inside whenever it opened up to kind of combine with players. And I thought Sweat had a really good game. Yeah, I think I think Sweat did enough to be like your starter. I mean, knowing that at some point he's going to need a break, but I feel like he did he did nothing to lose his job. Um, and so I, I I would I would go ahead and sweat start Sweat in the next match for sure. Yeah, I um, again I think Kolmanich could take that spot, or maybe it's a like a situational thing. Maybe if we're chasing a game like we were against LA and we want to just throw everyone forward and start putting crosses in, Kolmanich is. Very good. Probably right? the best thing. crosser yeah. on the team. He was he was taking the corners and the set pieces as soon as he came in. Uh, maybe Pochettino would be able to challenge him for like crossing the ball or like longer passes, but his crosses were phenomenal. And like the film that I saw of him playing in Slovenia it was the same thing. Just 
has some weaknesses to his game that he needs to improve upon, but those crosses are amazing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of imagine we'll see him in that situations. If we're chasing a game and kind of throw the kitchen sink, we'll put him in and just send him all the way forward and start crossing balls in. But, uh, I, I think sweat has, has earned to keep his spot. Um, really the only one that I think I might want to see a change is at the number nine. Uh, Gallagher just kind of made the game look completely different when he came in. Um, my only question there is, would he be as dangerous doing that at the very beginning of a game? Or is it so dangerous because he's doing it late and because it is such a drastic change and because those defenders do have tired legs? Is that why it looks so good? Or would he look that way at the beginning of a game as well? I, I do have that question. And, you know, I've wondered about that. And I it originally I was like, oh, well, he's just such a good, you know, late match sub to sort of change the pace of things that, he should be that way, but like my dad used to tell me, there's only one way to find out <laughs> if he's if he can't be the starter, and that's to put him in. But I mean, I, I don't think he's a 90 minute player either way. But you could maybe you switch it, you know, put him in and let him run at people for the first 60 and tire him out, and then you know then bring Houston in or something. So I would like to see him start, um, if not this week, you know, maybe maybe Minnesota, but sooner rather than later, and yeah, see, so, see what he can do to change it up. Uh, John Gallagher's stat here: Austin had 12 shots total only three of them on target two out of those three were john gallagher's and so two of our three shots on target came from from him when, when he came in, in the 70th minute or whenever that was so um yeah he he definitely looked dangerous in a way that nobody else on the field did there were some other good chances including Houston had a pretty good chance early in the game uh a header like kind of a, a soft header that was aimed at that back post and it wasn't technically on target, but it was one of the more dangerous opportunities. So I don't want to take, take it completely away from him, but, um, but yeah. And then is there any other burning questions for the coming week? I think we can maybe talk about Colorado. I guess the one thing that I have a question about, cause I've heard this too, is like, do you think that the 59th minute sub was too early. They basically swapped out most of the attacking force at 59. Like, do you think they should have given, given the starters a little more time or do you feel like they were, they were gassed and it was time to swap it out? Um, because it's early in the season, they, they did look tired. They started looking tired. Um, it's, it's early. I think later in the season, as we get some more conditioning, um, 59 maybe is a little bit early to start or like I don't want to say it's early like it was the right time here but like whether or not we're disappointed to see it be that early I think is the real question because you would like for your best players to go deeper into the game than that but they were tired I don't I think it was the right decision in the moment um but later in the season as they do have a bit better conditioning I would like to see certain players play deeper into the game because that's when we're going to need some of those guys all right, you want to take, should we take a break and then talk Colorado? Yeah, let's, um, just like general overview again, I feel pretty good about this game. I think lots of stuff to improve upon. Um, but overall, I think this is a fantastic starting point for what this season's going to hold, and I feel pretty encouraged about it all. Yeah, I have to, I can't do anything but agree. I think I think we're in a good spot. Um I mean, a win would have been amazing, but certainly it was way better than the worst outcome. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back to preview the upcoming weekend's game against Colorado Rapids. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. And also, Aaron, uh, Aaron, one of the, the Von Flayton, uh, was on We Are Austin uh, on CBS on Friday morning of this week and put in a nice shout out to the Moon Tower Soccer podcast. Yeah. Which was really, which was, which was nice, and talked about this campaign they have, um, which is sort of a uh, Austin FC fans be safe, pass the keys, don't be dumb, and don't drive drunk campaign, which is a very good message for soccer fans to have. Absolutely, you can go to fvf.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. And we are back. All right, Jeremiah, let's talk a little bit about our next game, which is going to be against the Colorado Rapids. What do we know about the Rapids? Well, the Rapids in 2020 had an interesting season. So in MLS's back, they finished last in their group. I don't remember which group it was, but uh, in the regular season, they made the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Um, and actually finished sixth, uh, sorry, fifth. They finished fifth in the Western Conference, which led them to a matchup with uh, Minnesota United. Uh, they lost the first round of Minnesota 3-0, but, you know, as we learned, Minnesota was pretty pretty dangerous. Uh, so it's probably not a bad outcome. So, you know, they're a young team. They're an up-and-coming team. And they are going to look to build on uh, on what they did in 2020. And I haven't really made a ton of changes since last year, right? Um, I think... Michael Barrios is is a pretty good addition coming in from Dallas, a pretty pretty dangerous winger. Uh, but I don't think they've added anybody else major into the lineup, but also haven't lost anybody. Uh, and like you said, it's a young team, so some of these guys are are really promising and and getting better. Yeah. And so the first match. So uh, did you end up watching all this? Uh, I watched a lot of it live and then watched the highlights afterwards, but it was kind of a boring game. <laughs> it was a, that's what I was going to say. It was a bit painful. So they drew uh, 0-0 or nil nil or whatever with FC Dallas. Uh, actually, Barrios probably had the the best uh, shot on goal, uh, and it was saved by uh, Jimmy Maurer of FC Dallas, who was the man of the match. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't a lot going on. It was not a lot of excitement. Uh, I started watching it. I took a nap unintentionally during the mid part and then watch the second <laughs> half. Um, you know, Kellen Acosta uh, speaking, there's a huge FC Dallas connection here, um, but he was uh, slotted in at left back because of injury, you know, but generally he's a really productive player in the midfield. So if you're looking for somebody to look out for, if you're traveling or watching on TV, I think that Kellen Acosta, who's, he's still a little bit in the national team mix too, right? It's he's somebody, kind of back now. He was yeah. not really even, on national team fans minds but uh in one of the most recent camps he got called up and looked looked good i think he's kind of earned earned his way at least back into the mind of greg berhalter but 
Um, their normal left back, uh, Sam Vines, is also a player who's kind of on the fringe of the national team right now in that left back spot. So um, do, do you know if he's supposed to be back for our game this weekend? I do not know that. That would be a thing. Like Having Vines back for them would be something good. But again, they, lots of young, talented players. Um, a team with a lot of upside, but have been kind of inconsistent. So um, Greg Seltzer of MLSsoccer.com listed Colorado as one of MLS's five most unpredictable teams, and mainly just because they are young. You just don't know what you're going to get on a given week. So who knows what uh, what kind of Colorado we're going to see when Austin goes to town. Um, wh- how do you feel about our chances in this one? I feel pretty good about this one. Um, just, I mean, they, they had a, they had a, we said they they didn't have a great start. Um, and well, very selfishly, gosh, we've got LA, we've got Colorado and we got Minnesota. We need to pick up a win some, sometime in our first three matches. This seems like our best opportunity. Yeah, exactly. On paper, you would think this is our our best chance to get a win in these first three. Uh, but I don't know if, if, Rockstar Colorado shows up, we we could be in trouble too because they looked really good at times last season. So hopefully we get uh, the the team that played against FC Dallas the other day and can't score a goal. <laughs> right, and I don't know what their style is. Like, do you have a really good idea about their style of play and how it might mesh against against what we do? I mean, I don't. I have not seen a lot a lot of their play, so I'm just be making a guess. I mean, if if our midfield defends like they did against LAFC, then I like our chances a lot, but. Maybe it, I don't know. It, we'll just have to see. We're still kind of getting to know what our style is anyway and like what our players can do. But um, I think like matching up player for player, I feel like we could hang with them. But uh, like, again, last season, they they seemed to play a little bit like greater than the sum of their parts at times. So um, yeah, I, again, uh, unpredictable. I think it just kind of depends on what what team we see. Yeah, so we should talk about the fan uh, experience on that one. So I'm going to that one. Um, there are probably, I think, 250, maybe 300 uh, folks who are going to go to that one on the road. So That's... it should be quite a rocking little little <laughs> section of Dick's Sporting Goods Park there That's uh, in amazing. Denver. That's going to be so cool. It, it was awesome watching on TV just to see, like, the, I don't know, like, dozen or 15 or so green jerseys kind of strewn about Bank of California Stadium. But to see 250 or 300 people on our second away game, that's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, and I'm a little bit jealous that I'm not going to be there with y'all. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be it's it's going to be so exciting and so good. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, there were there were probably a couple dozen people there at the at the at the game on the road, but they all kind of had to buy their own tickets and make their own way. And you should check out Chris Bills's article um, on the Striker Texas. Um, about this because he did a great piece on like the fact that the Bumbo had its own seat and uh, sort of all the way that it came together. I think people pay between like $100 and $350 a ticket just to make it there. But, you know, with that, there was still uh, a good group on the road. They, I think they met the team bus coming up at the stadium. Uh, we fl- flew a banner uh, over the stadium before the match that said, uh, I think it was like, hi, how are you? Hasta la marcha. Hasta la muerte. Yeah, verde hasta la muerte. Yeah, uh, verde that was some worries. That was pretty was cool. cool though. That yeah, Fox got a good shot of it and put it on the broadcast, and the players got to see it. And and there's some um, on 
social media, there's some video of the players like uh, filming the supporters on the side of the road as they drove past and just kind of hearing kind of the, the banter in the background. You could tell like they thought that was pretty cool um, seeing yeah. the fans there on the side of the road. Yeah, and somebody asked Brad Stuver about it in the post-game press conference about the fan support, and he said that it was amazing um, that the moment they pulled in the stadium and saw these Black and Verde fans cheering us on as we got to the stadium, that it was really great. Um, said during warm-ups they noticed it, and then uh, I think he, t- he he mentioned that he like talked to his wife, or he was texting his wife, and she was like kind of cruising around town and was really impressed with what she saw around town. And I mean, from what we could tell, there were like thousands and thousands of people at watch parties in Austin, too. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like Hop Squad was filled to the brim. I think they maxed out at like 520. Um I think you s- said that Circle had like 800 or so people come come through throughout yeah, was, the yeah, day. Was, yeah, 800 throughout the day, but I mean, if you see the saw those pictures, there were at least 5 or 600 there like during the, during the match. Yeah. yeah, that was impressive. And then the Long Center had 1000 people for the official watch party. There was, I know, Bolden Acres on South Lamar had a big thing. Uh, Black Sheep Lodge was at capacity two hours before the game. And that's just a handful that we know about. There's dozens and dozens of these watch parties throughout the the Austin area. And I imagine most of them were were packed to the gills like that, as as full as as they can be with, with limitations and stuff that are going on. But... It's it's pretty cool to see that kind of support and like just makes me even more excited for that first home game when we can get into the stadium with everybody. Yeah, me too. I was talking to a couple of the folks who've been around forever. It's some some I haven't seen in a while, like uh, Bernie and and David Thomas and them about you know if you think about three and a half years ago when we would go to these events, there'd be like fifty to seventy people there, and you knew everybody there. And now we're talking about. There's 500, you know, there's thousands of people at events around town and they're all just like new fans, you know, and it's so exciting to see that like the city has really uh, dived into it and that it really has connected with everybody in the city. It's not just like a little group of people that we all know because we know all the people that do the soccer things and it's not just like (laughs) the soccer guys, but it's everybody. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Um, all right. So before, uh, we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about, some of the um, roster uncertainties that we have going on right now. So Aaron Schoenfeld, it was announced last week that he had surgery on his knee and he's going to be out for an indefinite amount of time. So we might not see Aaron Schoenfeld this season if he had knee surgery. There, there's, I know, did, did they ever specify exactly what it was or they just said surgery on his knee? No, it was like a 50-word press release. Like the About Us part of the press release was longer than the actual statement. And it was just, yeah, it was like surgery in his knee and he'll be out for a while and nothing more specific than that. Yeah, I, um, I've had knee surgery and so I know kind of the <laughs> the range you can get there. And I think you, like a meniscus cleanup thing, it could be like six weeks. Uh, but if it's like an ACL, like ligament tearage, that's that's the season. Like he's not playing this year. Um, yep. And the other, I was gonna say the other injury we haven't heard that much about or haven't heard anything about officially, I think is Ulysses Segura. He just hasn't shown up on the roster or on the bench. Yeah. Um, so whenever they were still training at, uh, St. Edwards, um, I went to a couple of like kind of snuck past a couple of practices there before I was kindly asked to leave <laughs> one time. Uh, but one of those practices, he was not 
with the rest of the team. He was just kind of doing some like conditioning things on the side and looked like it was, he was kind of in pain while he was doing it. Um, but it didn't like he was running. So I was like, he'll be back. But then preseason games come along and he doesn't play in, in any of them. And so at that point I was like, Oh, maybe this is a little bit more serious, but I don't think we got any word on exactly what it is. Just that he's still injured and we don't know when he's coming back. That's basically it. The other important thing we learned about him is he was the soccer crush of the week on Twitter last week, which yeah. is something we're very, we're very into. Which after, so I've made it clear that um, my vote goes to Julio Cascante, but <laughs> that soccer crush Twitter account was posting some photos of, of Segura, like wearing like some super fashionable clothes and like all these accessories and like these like bad bunny looking clothes and I was like, oh, okay. I've I've only seen him like wearing a like a soccer uniform and like tracksuit essentially. But I was like, okay, I didn't I didn't know that that he like I don't know that he was so fashionable. Otherwise, I may, I might have voted him higher in my in my first assessment. Um, what a, so a couple of other changes to the roster was some new signings signed uh, Aiden Stanley at left back. We kind of saw that one coming. Um, we kind of assumed he would get a contract. The other one that we a little bit surprised by is uh, Will Pulisic signed as our fourth goalkeeper, which I know a while back we had speculated that maybe Brady Scott was going to go out on loan. Uh, and then we were told that he hasn't been sent out on loan, but maybe he would go out in the future. And now that we have four goalkeepers, does do, do you think, like, surely that's the only... That's the, the only, only thing that makes outcome, sense, right? Yeah, yeah. For for multiple reasons. One, I mean, he's a young guy; he needs to play, and also he occupies the senior roster spot. So, the, like those two factors by themselves, well, along with his son and Pulisic, makes one thinks that you know that he has to be going out on loan, or otherwise, the Pulisic signing doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, because you'd imagine Pulisic is on a minimum contract, and he could take um, a supplemental spot. And so sending Scott out on loan would, yeah, like you said, get him some playing time and free up that senior roster spot for us to make those signings whenever we need to. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking they're just going to keep him in camp as long as possible, have him be around the the rest of the team as long as possible. And then whenever the USL season gets started back up, he might be gone for a while. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good prediction. And then um, so there's a couple trialists at least a couple of trialists that we didn't sign, but we were surprised that we didn't sign either of them. I was mainly surprised by Luis Argudo because he was in that kind of that second squad for all the preseason games. And so because and he, he was when, productive too, right? Yeah. He, he's, he scored, I don't think he looked amazing, but he looked pretty good. Uh, yeah. He, I think he scored against one of the, the lower level teams, but um just from a, a depth perspective, I assumed like we'd be able to get him on a minimum contract as a supplemental spot and just put him on the roster because, frankly, we just don't have that many players on our full roster. And so he's he's a guy who's played in MLS before, put him on the roster. But, there, I mean, the transfer window is still open, so they could still sign some of these guys um, between now and I don't maybe – I don't remember exactly when it closes, but – there's still time to sign these guys and maybe that'll happen, but maybe it won't. And we're just going to hold out and, and use the guys that we have right now. 
Yeah, so I, I went and looked it up. So we've got 19 senior players, and obviously we're going to save at least we're going to save one spot for our third DP in the summer. But if you sign, if you send Scott out, that's that opens up another one, and then only only seven on the supplemental roster. So there's some opportunities to add players there, and I feel like Josh has said in press conferences that we should expect some more USL players. And I'm a little bit surprised that they haven't come in already, but maybe maybe they're just waiting to see where the need is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't that's that's a part of roster building that I just don't really know how it works. So it'll definitely be fascinating to to learn a little bit more about that as it develops. Uh is there any anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up, Jeremiah? I think we've hit all the news it's fit to podcast or print or whatever that statement would be <laughs> all right all right we would like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um one thing that we're going to do to kind of incentivize reviews and also give some money to a good cause is if you uh let's see if you like moon tower soccer on twitter write us a review then send us a direct message on our Twitter page, letting us know that you wrote us a review. We're going to send you some Moon Tower Soccer stickers, and we're also going to make a $5 donation to the Central Texas Food Bank. So write us a review, come let us know on Twitter, send us a, a screenshot or just send us a DM, let us know that you did it, and we'll send you some stickers and we'll also buy some people some food. And if you want to continue the conversation uh, about soccer, as always, uh, you can check us out on Twitter at LVHero87 and JBentley underscore ATX. Uh, and also check out Moon Tower Soccer um, on Twitter. We're always looking to connect with other fans, talk more about the sport that we love. And if you have some ideas for what we should tweet about from the official account that's different from our personal accounts, we would love <laughs> that because we're still kind of figuring that out. Yeah, we're, we're, what's the divide in the voice there? Um, also visit the Striker Texas website. There's lots of awesome content following the game. Uh, by Chris Bills, by Phil West, um, lots of cool content following that game and then also preparing for for the upcoming week's game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we're going to review the match against the Colorado Rapids where Jeremiah is actually going to be at that game and then we'll preview the game against Minnesota United the following week where I'm going to go to that game. Uh, we're also going to do an interview with Eric Goodman who is covering Austin FC for the Austin Chronicle. Until then, my name's Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.